Man, we're really excited to be here. It's awesome to get started. And so now we take off. This is the Training Camp Report with Tom Otterman and Bob Labriola on Steelers Nation Radio. Wrapping up yesterday's training camp report, we hypothesized that there would be no such thing as a victory Monday when the Steelers returned to St. Vincent campus for practice Monday. And boy, were we ever proven right when it came to that as the Steelers were greeted back on campus with a full padded practice, 100% Steelers on Steelers football, as Tomlin likes to say. We're just really smart guys, Labs. We know how this guy thinks and we know the operation that he has in mind. And I think as a result, we should have had, me and you should have had Victory Tuesday. What is that? Not have to come in today and do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's only could, fair. They could they could run uh, Bob and Tom's greatest hits. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, that doesn't, um, it, it, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, he brings them back in pads. They were off Sunday, you know, and they're, during the during the season, I believe you know some of the Victory Monday stuff has to do with, um, you know, you're only the according to the CBA, you're only allowed so many, um, you know, days of practice and padded practices. I think it's like fourteen or fifteen padded practices over a eighteen week season. That's right. So, in Victory Mondays, you know, you might as well because you're probably not going to be able to do very much anyway, um, and um, you know, bodies require, uh, some time to heal. And, uh, so, you know, I, I can understand the, uh, victory Monday during the season. I, I think though, that based on the limited time you have at camp and, um, you know, the, the fact that there's no such thing as two a days anymore. And so you got to get to hitting in somewhere. Yep. And so I think that, you know, it, you know, I wish there was Victory Monday, but <laughs> I, I totally understand why there was not. Let me say it that way. When it comes to Tomlin, you know, he is at the forefront, really, when it comes to player safety. So I'm sure he understands, you know, hey, 14 padded practice throughout the season is probably a good idea for our players' long-term health. But deep down, he loves putting those pads on, doesn't he? He wishes he could do it a lot more, I'm sure, as the season winds out on. Well, I mean, the fact that... Um, the fact that supports what you just said is that there's live tackling here yeah. at training camp right. every day. And I don't know that there's another team in training camp. You know, sometimes when the, the national people uh, come around to visit, um, they're always shocked that there's tackling. I mean, teams <laughs> don't do that. They just don't. Uh, and as I, you know, I've told this story, but I was standing almost – directly next to Kevin Colbert when Mike Tomlin revealed that. I don't know how many years ago it was because <laughs> Le'Veon Bell was was still here. So that's that that's that kind of dates it at least. And um, you know, I remember um in in a subsequent interview with Mike Tomlin, you know, I asked him and he said, Oh, I didn't tell anybody. He said, I, I didn't tell the assistant coaches until you know, we were ready to take the field that afternoon. Wow. He said, because I, I didn't want word getting out. And he said, I didn't want somebody trying to talk me out of it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's, 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 there's definitely physical contact. There's hitting, there's tackling, uh, during training camp. And, you know, then he dials it back once you get into the regular season, partly because of the rules and 
partly because I just think that's the way he believes is the best way to, to prepare the team and then take care of the team once you decide who's going to be on the team. Well, the Steelers did get a minor victory on practice yesterday with the return of some familiar faces, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Najee Harris, full participant. Chase Claypool, full participant. Pat Fryermuth, full participant, although he had been working his way back the week prior. And Deontay Johnson returning to the fold. So the offensive death star looks like it's up and running at 100% capacity. Hopefully that can remain and we can see, you know, maybe a series or two with all of these guys together against Jacksonville on Saturday because that's so beneficial to start working this, you know, first team offense together as the full unit you expect to have out there on September 11th in Cincy. You know, and I don't, you're right. And I don't know what it says, though, about the fact that. All those guys returned, and the defense kind of dominated yesterday. Yes, that's true. Not a good thing, I don't think. Although we can look at it glass half full and say, hey, defense probably got lit up a little bit by Tomlin based on what they played like on Saturday. So good bounce-back performance from the defense. You see how we spin that into the positive light? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, that that's a that's an also, I believe, a big part of, you know, how Mike Tomlin uh, deals with situations and, pushes buttons with players and stuff, you know, the whole uh, respect thing, you know, or payback. Because, like, the one thing he said, someone asked him uh, after a recent practice something about how do you, you know, view the fact or balance the ebb and flow when, you know, the offense, uh, I think it was the day that last week when he, the first time he ran two minute, uh, the offense went down the field and scored twice. Yeah. Uh, he, he was asked about that. He says, "Hey, you know, I don't, I don't try and justify it or whatever." He said, "I just keep rolling the ball out there and you know, tell the competitors to compete." He said, "And after you get your butt kicked for a while, then maybe you get tired <laughs> of it and start kicking somebody's butt back." And you know, that's kind of, um, I think, a very solid uh, way of dealing with this because these guys. You know, they're professionals and all that stuff. I get that, and everybody kind of does. But they don't, they're not where they are because they like losing at anything. So, yeah, you uh, you get your butt kicked, and then he shows the video, and then you get your butt kicked, and he shows the video, and you're thinking, <laughs> Slow -mo this uh, time. I'm tired. Of, I'm tired of this, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's, that, that's part of it as well. Well, Coach Tomlin spoke to the media following yesterday's practice. Let's take a listen to Coach's thoughts right here on the training camp report. Good to get back to work. Um, before And before we got to the field, I thought what we did this morning was probably one of the most significant exercises in team development, an opportunity to analyze our in-stadium tape, um, to make some acknowledgments and some corrections, to learn from the things that we've done and just gain an experience associated with, with combing through it. Uh, we took our time this morning and, and devoted our time completely to that. And uh, this afternoon, we came back out here and got back in a in a Steelers versus Steelers training camp-like mentality. Um, we'll use the lessons learned in stadium as our guide as we get better, and I just think it's appropriate to do so. You know, I, I thought our two-minute was not where it needed to be offensively and defensively at the end of the half the other night. Um, and, and so, as you can see in, in team today, we. We, we, we plugged in another two-minute segment, and, and I think that's what you do during team development. You have a hardcore plan, but you also remain light on your feet for the unforeseen, for what the group might need in an effort to keep the train moving. Um, excited about that component. Uh, from an injury standpoint, uh, Boykins has got a rib. Miles Boykins has got a rib. Could be described as day-to-day. 
Um, Carl Joseph's got a foot that's being evaluated. It's probably beyond day-to-day um, and, and nothing new to add uh, other than what I acknowledged uh, after the game or prior to. I'll pause and, and take questions. Like from your tape, what do you see about the offensive line that you like or maybe need to work on? You know, um, I, I thought we played with good energy. Um, I think we're still growing from a cohesion perspective. Um, I thought we gave up too many hits on the quarterback. Um, and some of it's cohesion. Some of it is, you know, guys physically getting beat. Um, but I want a cleaner pocket uh, for our quarterbacks. And what I saw, I think that's the standard. Um, but there was a lot of good things. Um, but that's something that, that we're going to be uncompromising regarding. Um, our goal is to keep our quarterbacks as clean as possible. And we could have done a better job, even for a first time out. And that's acknowledging how we practice out here. It isn't necessarily how you practice in game in terms of the pocket. Uh, there's certain professionalism that you do. Uh, in practice settings, we encourage defenders and rushers to stay away from the quarterback and specifically his arm action. So oftentimes, it'll take the offensive line group uh, a, a while, if you will, to warm up to in-stadium action from a strain standpoint. And so it's reasonable to expect those guys to be better in that regard, and, and that's our goal. That'll be our mindset as we work this week. How do you think the quarterbacks responded to that Saturday? Obviously, that wasn't one of Ben's strong suits by the end of it. But in terms of what? When that pocket wasn't clean or they had to face rushers. You know, I, I don't think that they blinked any of them um, in the face of whether it was pressure or, or some of the challenges of coverages. I thought the quarterbacks did a good job uh, in the football game. Mike, when you were going through the tape, you alluded to uh, what you saw two minutes on both sides of the ball. Uh, what else defensively did you notice that left out of you? You know, I, we got to have better ga gap integrity, but we got we talked about that after the game. Uh, we want great on the curve based on who's available, who's playing. The 11 on the field represent us. There's standards that we live by, and we weren't strong enough, particularly against the run. We didn't tee up our situational ball well enough because we were weak against the run at times in, in game. When it comes to divvying up the reps out here, how do you, how much do you weigh one preseason in stadium opportunity versus what three weeks of practice now? It's weighted more heavily, certainly, because of some of the things we mentioned—the live pocket being a major component of it, and so forth. So make no make no mistake about it. The in-stadium action is significant in the evaluation process. You consider what Delane and Bush are doing right now competing for one spot, or do you expect both of those guys to earn some type of role in the regular defense? I would imagine that both guys are, are varsity in their abilities and so that there's going to be a role for them. But make no mistake, there's a competition component to what's transpiring here in terms of dividing the labor up, for sure. Mike, how did you think those guys did in coverage on Saturday night? I thought they could be a lot better, and um, that'll be my expectation this week. Anyone else? You guys had some fun watching that hit at the end of the game by Davis? Uh, I, didn't, I didn't watch that with the, with the collective. Coach Tomlin speaking to the media following yesterday's practice. He led right off labs talking about how valuable it was to get a look at that film in the stadium against another team. And it really has to be, you know, you can learn so much on Steelers on Steelers and we'll get to this in a second, but kind of what he was saying about the offensive line and evaluating them in camp speaks to this, but you probably, he probably learned so much more about his team based on that game Saturday night and watching the film the, in the days following than he did perhaps all of training camp. Well, and yeah, because, you know, as he, as he mentioned, uh, you know, this, the one specific example, the obvious one is the quarterbacks, you know, are under no threat of violence. Correct. Yeah. Um, and, and when he says 
we encourage our players, you know, to stay away from the quarterback and his arm action. You know, I think encourage is kind of an understated way of what is actually being told to them. Um, you know, people often ask me, why don't the Steelers put their quarterback in a red jersey like all the other teams? And, you know, I, I explain it. I said, you know, Mike Tomlin will tell them in no uncertain terms uh, what he expects in that area. And if you can't remember it or choose to ignore it, um, you know, Route 30 goes both ways, east and west. So you can drive <laughs> out here on Route 30 and you can drive out of here uh, on Route 30. So, you know, there's that. Um, and and the other thing is, not only is does that uh, no threat of physical uh, harm apply to the quarterbacks, but receivers too down the field. I mean, I think you learn a lot about those guys too. You know, how aggressive and confident uh, do they go up for passes? Do they run across the middle? You know, those kinds of things. Because even though in a lot of instances based on the rules, those guys are protected, um, defenseless players, I think is the exact terminology that the officiate, officials use, you can, you can still, um, you know, line a guy up and hit him with your shoulder in his chest, and I don't imagine that feels real good either. So, um, yeah, there, there's a lot to be learned, I think, uh, but from about your team from a game, and I think that also there's a lot to teach uh, yep. to your team from a game. And I, I, Mike Tomlin, I think, relishes both of those aspects of the uh, uh, video review following a preseason game. Well, to your point about the offensive line, we always like to say and put it out there, we're not offensive line experts here. If you want the expertise at that position, you got to wait about another oh, 40 or so minutes to get Wolf and Starks in the locker room, and they'll tell you everything you need to know uh, about that unit. But it has to be, in a weird way, kind of a silver lining to have the quarterback be able to get hit in these preseason games because, like he was saying, you know, you don't have that threat when you're an offensive lineman practicing in the camp practices. So might not be that big of a deal in your head when your guy beats you and, you know, you don't have to look down at number two on his butt and be like, oh, man, I'm sorry, or see that the ball got stripped. So hopefully that can, you know, start to drill into these guys' heads a little bit. Like, hey, I'm protecting this quarterback here. If I don't, you know, get off on my block or, or succeed against the person that is rushing against me, I, I'm going to have to look back and explain some things to my, my signal caller here. Yeah, and um, you know, Craig Wolfley talks about um, some instances where he, you know, he was part of a huddle. <laughs> yes, when guys looked at each other and said, you know, Bradshaw, for example, when he had that bad elbow and came back in that game against the Jets in '83, I think it was. You know, they all looked at each other and said, "He's not going down. He's not going to get hit. <laughs> you do hold. what you have to do. <laughs> yeah. Right? You do what you have to do. You deal with the penalty flags later." But you know you got to keep him clean. That's it. There's there's no uh, there's no compromise in this. Um, and so um, yeah, there, there's there's that. And the the one thing though that you you have going for you, I think, with this particular group of quarterbacks, is you know they can help themselves a little bit too in no that doubt. respect. And we saw that on um, Saturday for sure. Yes, they can move around in the pocket a little bit. And I think that um, once their ability <clears throat> and willingness to run the ball a little bit or, you know, use their legs to buy time, uh, whatever, um, the opponent is going to have to think about how it rushes the quarterback. You know, you just can't, 
Uh, you just can't go after him helter-skelter because if you don't maintain the integrity of your rush lanes, um, you know, Mitch Trubisky gets out on the perimeter, Pickett gets out on the perimeter, Mason Rudolph gets out on the perimeter, you got you got a, a, a double-edged uh, problem yep. because maybe he runs for 15 yards or, you know, maybe you think he's going to run for 15 yards and you – break your coverage or leave your man or, you know, whatever it's, whether it's zone or man to man or some combination, whatever. And then they just throw it over your head or throw it where you're not or throw it where you were. Um, and that, that's a big problem too. So, you know, it's, I always kind of think about it as, you know, when you're dealing with one of those kinds of quarterbacks, the three that I just mentioned, uh, on the Steelers, but Josh Allen and, you know, those kind of people too, it has to be uh, the pass rush has to be kind of analogous to an anaconda. The way the an anaconda snake kind of just encircles its prey and then just squeezes the life out of it. I mean, that's what you have to do um, as as a pass rush unit against those kinds of quarterbacks because otherwise, um, as I said, the guy gets away and then you got all kind of problems. Steelers training camp report on Animal Planet. Apparently, it seems like a, a regular. Hey, Steve I try Irwin over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, hope not, because I think Steve Irwin <laughs> is with us. You know, great crocodiles in the sky or whatever. But um, yeah, and if I ever even saw a garter snake, I'd probably run run away screaming. Um, but you know, I I, I watch. Uh, I, I've seen. You're an educated man. Some, you watch the uh, yeah. your television shows aren't just a bunch of crap. You you learn some things. Yeah, I watch something besides ESPN. <laughs> a lot besides ESPN, not that you mention it. <laughs> well, we somehow managed to make it through the entire first segment without really drilling down into the quarterbacks. So we failed the people there. We'll have to do that when we return on the other side. And I also want to touch on what Tomlin said. You know, seeing they didn't succeed in one area particularly. Uh, in the game, so we lead off practice with that very same drill the next day. We'll get into all that on the other side here on the Training Camp Report on SNR. This is the Training Camp Report with Tom Offerman and Bob Labriola on Steelers Nation Radio. Coach Tomlin said in his post-practice presser that watching film Monday morning was one of the most significant exercises in team development that they've had so far in this camp experience. And one thing that he did not like on that film was the way that the offense executed the two-minute drill at the end of the first half. Uh, obviously, Kenny was pretty successful with it. His second chance at it in the second half, but he did not really think that it was up to par. So what does he do, Labs? two-minute drill again in this practice returning from uh, their in-stadium uh, action against the Seahawks. Yeah, and I don't think the um, the defense really uh, – I think that uh, the defense's performance in the two-minute uh, also uh, did not exactly, uh, you know, tickle his fancy because mm -hmm. at the end of the first half, uh, Geno Smith took the Seahawks 61 yards in nine plays in one minute and 27 seconds to a touchdown. They scored it with um, this, uh, 20, 21 seconds left. So, uh, you know, that that's not a that's not good enough either from a defensive standpoint. So it was kind of a, you know, the way that it worked, um, you know, you killed two birds with one stone because, uh, you know, at the end of the game, 
um, the offense distinguished itself, you know, the Kenny Pickett drive yep. for the touchdown. But if you look, um, you know, two minute is, is kind of a, uh, a catch all for, you know, the last parts of each half. And, um, you know, the Steelers did not distinguish themselves on offense because they could have run out the game had they, you know, been a, a little bit better at it. Right. Uh, the Steelers had the, uh, they lost the ball uh, on a sack, on a fourth down sack in a tie game with a minute twenty three left. So you know the, they were they were in Seattle territory at the time. You know you maybe uh, get a uh, convert that uh, fourth down, uh, fourth and one too. By the way, which you know is a is a makeable down and distance, and maybe you you can hold on to the ball a little bit, get it into range, and kick a field goal and go home. Uh, as opposed to needing um, uh, a rookie inside linebacker to make a big time NFL play with a sack, a strip sack, um, to get the ball back for the offense, but you know it worked out and that's good and you know all that stuff. But you, if you look at the game as a coach, you know he would look at these different components where, uh, yeah, it ended well, but you know you had a chance to not put yourself in a situation where you needed a takeaway and then a touchdown, you know, in somewhat dramatic fashion uh, to win the game. So uh, when you look at the two-minute performance against Seattle, it wasn't particularly good in either half. Um, again, it ended up okay, but if you did it better in both of those situations, uh, you're not in the situation you ended up being at the end of the game needing that, you know, uh, dramatic defensive play and then uh, the offense to go uh what was what was that drive uh you know 43 yards and five plays mm -hmm. so yeah it, it was an opportunity and again this is what mike tomlin likes to do you know we would we might look at it or someone you or, or someone who's talking right now uh might have written about uh <laughs> what a nice job the rookie quarterback did uh in in the final minute in the final 87 seconds or whatever it was uh, to pull out a victory. But the way a coach looks at it is if, you know, that rookie had done a little bit better job about two minutes earlier in the, in the, on the clock, uh, he wouldn't have needed the drama because the drama is not always going to be there for you. You know, you, the, the whole concept of um, needing a takeaway and actually coming through with one, you know, how rare that is in the NFL. I mean, it's, it's, it just doesn't happen very often. So you can use it as a teaching tool. You can bend the, the facts a little bit, use it as a teaching tool, and it made for an interesting end to a what should have been, should have been but wasn't a Victory Monday <laughs> practice. Those damn coaches always raining on our parades with reality. Yeah. Injecting hey, reality no into scenarios, humor. I know, seriously. Right. Hate that. Hate that. <laughs> Hate reality. Well, the Steelers had two two-minute periods on Monday's practice. Uh, parameters were 32 yard, your own 32-yard line, one timeout. You need a touchdown to win this thing. The defense carried the day twice. They forced the first-team offense into a, a, a fourth down and was able to get the stop on fourth down, so turnover on downs. Uh, that's a win for your defense. And then second-team offense ended with an interception from the defense. So Defense definitely got a little bit of a fire lit under them from what they saw on film on Saturday's game and probably what the coaching staff and Coach Tomlin told them, you know, was expected of them and how that performance was well below the line. Yeah, and I also think, you know, I'm going to go back to 
what we were talking about earlier, the payback thing, you know, among yeah. your teammates, uh, you know, because the last time they ran two minute, I mean, um, you know, Mason Rudolph was very efficient, uh, brought him down for a touchdown. And then Kenny Pickett, I think was two plays, uh, you know, one, yeah, bang, bang, uh, there was right. a, it was, yeah, it was a blown coverage on the first one. Um, Jalen Warren ran down the sideline with a, you know, pass that probably traveled about eight feet. And then, uh, you know, Kenny Pickett made a big time NFL throw to the middle of the end zone to Steven Sims, uh, well, you know, right on the button. Great throw. I mean, it was a great throw. And, you know, you're, the offense is celebrating and eating the good food that night, I'm sure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the defense was stuck uh, listening to, um, you know, the chatter. There's, you know, because there is some chatter, I'm sure. Uh, last last night, I'm sure Cam Hayward did a little payback in that chatter uh, department. And then the defense ate good, I'm sure. I don't know what it was. But, uh, yeah, they will because the defense won the competition uh, periods. So uh, I, I, I do not discount, do not discount the value of uh, bragging rights. You know, as, or as Mike Tallman said in those situations, to the victor goes the spoils. You know, it's not a big thing, uh, and even the, even the guys who lost, quote unquote, lost and had to eat regular food, what they missed out on, they can certainly afford. You know, to to, but it's the whole. You know, just it's ta- it tastes better. When it's <laughs> just plain and you know, simply, it just and tastes a lot better. It just tastes a lot better when it's you know you're taking it from guys that you like that you like <laughs> to beat. I mean, you know, it, it just, it just is like when, um, I don't know, when you make Jacob Rick buy you the pizza, Ugh. I mean, you could buy your own pizza, the best part he about, has to buy. Yeah. The best part about that is we get it for free too. So he doesn't know that. <laughs> so he, I'm just, I'm double dipping here. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> See, it's, it's just, it's, it, it's, it's the same pizza, but it just tastes better. It just <laughs> seems to taste better when you, when you win it over someone that, you know, you like to beat. And um, I don't know, human nature, I guess. Well, there's a little bit of a quarterback shuffle yesterday. Trubisky ran with the ones. That was normal. But Pickett got a chance to go with the twos. And everybody keeps saying, you know, it was according to plan. It was according to plan. And I believe it. It was according to plan. They had a plan that they set out. And nothing that happened on Saturday warranted a change in the quarterback depth chart. And just because you come out on Monday and Pickett ends up running with the twos and seven shots and in this two-minute drill – there's nothing to read too much. And in fact, I'm, I'm refreshing my live depth chart right now, and it still appears that Mason Rudolph is number two on it. So people are going to want to read into every little thing, especially after what they saw on Saturday. And I'm sure a lot of people are reading into pickets with the twos, pickets with the twos. He ran with the twos. It's over. Mason Rudolph is done. He's down on the third in the depth chart. Pickett finally supplanted him. But this is not the case whatsoever. That was going to, even if Pickett was terrible on Saturday, you could have expected him to see him with the twos on Monday. Yeah, and you know, there, there's, um, you know, those kinds of depth chart changes, changes, uh, pecking order changes, permanent uh, pecking order changes. You know, usually it's not enough for one guy to play well. You have to have the other guy mess up, right? Because if everybody plays well, then you stay where you are. Um, because you know, I, I've, you know, you you keep. I keep thinking back to the Ben situation when he was a rookie, you know, the last time the Steelers drafted a quarterback in the first round. 
you know, Ben came to camp uh, number three. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Tommy Maddox, <clears throat> excuse me, Tommy Maddox, Charlie Batch, and Ben. So Charlie Batch injured his knee. I mean, I, you, you talk about um, events that shaped uh, how that unfolded. Uh, a critical one in my mind was Charlie Batch's injury. Because if Charlie Batch doesn't injure his knee at the point of training camp, which was before the preseason even started, really. Yeah. Um, you know, Ben was getting a lot of second-team reps right away, and the only reason he was getting second-team reps was because Charlie Batch wasn't there anymore. Um, and so, you know, you got to see him uh, with better players and against better players. And again, I don't know that that happens without the injury because I don't know that you can do enough to, uh, as a rookie to support to supplant a veteran unless the veteran either does something to, to help you by messing up or he is removed from the competition uh, by an injury. And that's what happened. And then after seeing Ben uh, for a while, it's the number two guy. Uh, you go into the season, you don't have Charlie Batch because he was on IR. So you're, he's your backup now. So then when the starter goes down, you got to play the backup. I mean, it's just, that's the way it is. That's the, the way the system kind of works. And so, you know, Bill Cowher's hand was forced. Yep. Now, it worked out great. <laughs> really great. Um, but, yeah, but, you know, I just don't know that Ben gets the opportunity when he got the opportunity if it weren't for the injuries. And, you know, if he doesn't, if the injuries don't happen, then he doesn't get the opportunity to go 13 and 0 as a rookie. Um, and then after that, you know, it's, it's a done deal then. Uh, he's the starter. And, uh, you know, then you're looking at the other people in, in different contexts or a different lens. And then, you know, and it, the team is 15 and 1, then the team wins the Super Bowl, and then it's, then it's over. You know, right, from right. then on, he's the starter, and then you're looking for backups. You know, you're not looking – when you're looking at quarterbacks, you're not looking to bring a guy to compete with the, you know, 24-year-old who in his two seasons as a starter went 15-1 and one and won a Super Bowl. <laughs> so that, that, that kind of – that's off the table, and you're just looking for, well, what, what if something happens to him? You know, what kind of a backup do we want to have behind him? So, um, the way the situation is going now, none of the quarterbacks has been removed or is removing himself uh, from the position that they were in when this started, either by poor play or some physical misfortune. And so, there's not going to be a whole lot of movement. There just isn't. I mean, I don't know how, you know, I can see that um, people might want Kenny Pickett to move up the depth chart, but you know, you have to have some credibility as the coach and the guys in the locker room, you know, you, you start moving Mason Rudolph down or, you know, Mitch Trubisky down and Kenny pick it up. Um, those guys, they know, they know, right. you know, they're, that this, you're just doing this. Yeah. Right. You're just doing this because he's a number one pick. You're not doing this because of what we're seeing on the field and watching on video after every day, because it's, uh, you know, the, the guys ahead of him are not messing up and they're playing well or well enough to, you know, to, to maintain their spot. So, you know, I, I just, I just don't know 
uh, how much change there's going to be. Because while Kenny Pickett may have shown that uh, he is he has done well enough against what you would call JV competition to move up, but who has done poorly enough on the varsity that's going to get replaced? I don't know. I, I, I you know, so I, I just I can't see a whole lot changing going into this game against Jacksonville. And if nothing, you know, if the the status quo remains. Uh, everybody plays the same, whatever level it is, great, mediocre, awful. You know, there's no um, um, difference or big enough difference that, that prompts a move. Then you're going into the, the third week of the preseason with the same pecking order that you started the first week of OTAs with. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's going to – you keep watching, uh, looking for – Something that that might happen that might uh, you know either force a change or merit a change, but if you if it if if it doesn't, um, there's not going to be any change. So the people that are clamoring for Kenny Pickett to move up the depth chart just they really astound me because they're cl- they're obviously huge Kenny Pickett fans, or else you wouldn't be demanding for him to move up the depth chart to the starting role to the backup role. Yet they're demanding for something that could be extremely detrimental to their guy's development. You, you don't want to rush a guy up when he's not ready. I love the fact that Kenny could go against the threes and against the fours because it showed his confidence. He, he walked out on that field on Saturday and knew he was the best guy that was still remaining on the field. And I want him to build that confidence up in kind of a, a nice little safe incubator that the Steelers have developed for him. So you're going to just demand that you throw that all the way. Ah, put him at number one. He's ready for it. Well, he might flounder when you put him in that situation too early, and then you're going to be the guy who's demanding Kenny Pickett get cut, and it was the worst pick in Steelers history. So it's funny to me and a little bit ironic that everybody's demanding him to rise up this depth chart because they want to see him do well, but that rise up the depth chart too early might be the reason why he doesn't do well. Well, and and, and to me, you know, I I get what you're saying. Um, I don't I don't want to believe personally that Kenny Pickett is so fragile that he could, his career could be ruined uh, by putting him uh, on the first team too soon. But the way I look at it is, you know, as a coaching staff, as a coach, as an organization, all of those, you know, bigger picture things in order to have credibility with your players. And there's, again, there's guys in there, Cam Hayward. I keep throwing that name out. Yeah. You know, Cam Hayward is a multiple time first team, all pro. Okay, you got to look him in the eye and say to him, you know, we're making this move either because it's the best thing for the team or we have to either by, you know, either as a result of poor performance or injury. You know, uh, you know the Alan Fanica story that I've told, you know, yep. uh, back in 2004, you, are you excited to see, get a chance to see the rookie play? You're asking your multiple-time first-team all-pro guard, and he looks at you like you have three heads. <laughs> you know, are you crazy? Excited? No, I'm not excited. You know, this is a business. We're professionals. Um, and I, I think that, you know, people have to remember that, that, you know, uh, fans can, you know, they get excited for the game or whatever, turn it on, watch it on TV. If the Steelers lose – uh, they turn it off, and I get that it, the the loss lingers a little bit, you know, with you. But it's not the same, 
uh, for the guys who are actually a part of that, who that is their profession. And um, I don't know, I just, uh, the way I look at it is, as I've said, you have to maintain your credibility because there are going to be times, you know, with Cam Hayward and other players, Najee Harris, uh, whomever, um, that you're going to ask them to do things, either sacrifice roles or um, change, you know, uh, maybe you say to TJ Watt, and I'm making this stuff up, so please, people, who you're listening, do not, do not go crazy over this. But maybe you have to say to TJ Watt at some point, hey, look, you need to quit trying to sack the quarterback. We need you to do this <laughs> instead a little bit more often to help this team win. Okay, And the only way you can do that is if the players, by your previous actions, know and trust that you're only asking this because you firmly believe that it gives the team the best opportunity to win. You know, I've, I've, I, I really believe that Bill Cowher's job, when all the people, a lot of the fans wanted him run out of here, which was after the 2003 season. Okay, that was um, seven and nine. Uh, that might have been the the springboard for the following two seasons, which were fifteen and one, and then the Super Bowl team. Because Bill Cowher played that two thousand and three season every week trying to win. Okay, and he was doing things trying to win, trying to win, trying to win, trying to win, and the players see that. And so then when you come to them and you say uh, in 04, to Jerome Bettis as an example, uh, you know, we want, to, uh, we want to make you a short yardage guy and we're going to use Deuce Staley as the primary running back. Okay, Jerome Bettis is in the Hall of Fame. So for him to accept that kind of uh, request, order, however you want to uh, uh, verbalize it, you have to have his trust. Yep. And the way you earn his trust is by playing every game to win all the time because these players, they, they understand that their careers could end in the next snap of the ball. So uh, if, you, if you, let's give him a chance to play. Or if you, well, let's see what he can do. Or let's see if we can get a better draft positioning. Or, you know, those <laughs> other things that uh, are floating around these days. You, you lose your locker room then your players aren't going to, they're not going to buy into when you want to try something or ask them to do something or sacrifice something or, you know, for the good of the team, because, uh, you know, BS, you yeah. weren't interested in the good of the team last Practice year. What you, you were interested. Right. So that's why, you know, I'm always looking at this in that respect, because you can't just have a short sighted view of it and think, well, I want to see Kenny Pickett. You know, I like him. I liked him in college. I have his jersey, you know, whatever. And let, let's let's see him now run with the first team. Uh, it doesn't work that way. You know, it's a, it's professional football, and you have to treat uh, the players as professionals. And so that's why as we're looking at this and trying to, you know, project or, you know, look down the road and, you know, you and your crystal ball, me and my magic eight ball, um, <laughs> what's going to happen next, you have to keep in mind that, you know, anything you want to do has to be thought out and according to the, I don't know, the, the decorum uh, that's necessary to be a success in professional sports with 
professional athletes who have dedicated their lives to this as a career. So um, I get that there are fans who want to see Kenny Pickett move up, but I think that those are people who like Kenny Pickett or don't like Mason Rudolph or, you know, but you, you can't look at, you can't have a favorite. Um, so we'll just have to see what happens uh, down the road. I, I, I think, I do believe that I think the Jacksonville game, uh, you know, might help clear things up a little bit one way or the other, because either it's going to impact one of the guys in ahead of him in a, you know, less than, positive way or it might impact him in a less than positive way and you see wow this guy's a rookie so you know let's let's find out what happens let it play out uh because i really think the people demanding change went into it with a preconceived notion that this is what they wanted to happen we're going to take a look at the defensive side of the ball in a position battle that is still hotly contested on the inside linebacker spot. So we'll do that to wrap things up on the training camp report on SNR. This is the training camp report with Tom Offerman and Bob Labriola on Steelers Nation Radio. Just a few more minutes here on today's training camp report. And one thing, Labs, that I wanted to get your thoughts on was the Devin Bush-Robert Spillane position battle. I think everybody wanted Devin Bush to really, you know, take this early, and that has just yet to happen. He hasn't been able to really get a firm grasp on that that inside linebacker spot, and that position battle seems to continue to ride on as they rotate both of those guys uh, in and out with the first-team unit. Yeah, and, um, you know, the fact that the Steelers – finished last in the NFL in rush defense last year, um, you know, is certainly something kind of hanging over that competition. Uh, And that's a critical element. You cannot finish last in the NFL in run defense and expect to be a team that, you know, I think you have to be fortunate to make the playoffs when you're last in the NFL and run defense and then winning any playoff games with that kind of the defense is, you know, it's, it's ridiculously difficult. Unlikely, I think is the, maybe the best word to describe it. So that has to get fixed. That has to get straightened out. Um, And I don't know. I, I, he, Devin Bush, I'm, that's another position a little bit in my mind where it's difficult for me you know, without the the ability to, you know, watch it on video back and forth, you know, back, back and forth to slow it down, you know, all that kind of stuff. Watching it live um, is, is difficult to know. Now, did he get blown off the ball? Was there some mistake made in the uh, defensive front where right. maybe whoever blocked him uh, wasn't supposed to get to that level? You know, those kinds of things. So, but... It just he just doesn't seem to me, to my untrained eye, to be the same guy he was as a rookie. And uh, you know, Brooke Pryor of ESPN, uh, let me just give credit where it's due. Uh, this was her story. She was talking to Devin Bush and he said, you know, he likened his situation to and again I'm paraphrasing this, so uh don't hold her to what you know I'm I'm about to explain. Right. You know, he, he likened it to a situation where, you know, you go over and you, you pet a dog. You know, maybe the dog's been friendly to you all this time. So you go over to pet the dog and the dog bites you. Okay, and it hurts and you bleed. And now 
So, okay, then the wound heals again. So you're looking at that dog again and think, wow, I was petting him all that time and everything's okay. Then the last time I went over, he bit me. <laughs> so when I go over the dog again, is he going to bite me again? Or is this going to be, we going back to the way it used to be? And so there's a doubt there in your mind with the dog. Uh, an athlete uh, at, at the, to the level that you have to be First of all, to get into the NFL, to be a starter in the NFL, but also to be at the 10th overall pick right. in a draft, um, you know, you probably spent most of your athletic career being able to count on your body. All of a sudden, now, after he blew out his knee, Devin Bush didn't think he could count on his body anymore because it, his body let him down. Non-contact blew out the ACL. So, you know, I think that there's two things that have to be uh, fixed the physical, the knee itself. And then you got to get over the mental thing of what happened, you know, and the, and the doubt that you may have, is it going to happen again? And so those are a couple of things that athletes in that situation have to contend with. And I don't imagine it's very easy. I've never been in that situation. <laughs> I don't have any athletic ability to lose in the first place. But, you know, when people say, well, you know, get over it. You know, go pet the dog. Well, it's not that easy. So I don't know if, if that's part of his problem still. He's not trusting it or um, maybe, it, you know, you just lose a little bit because even, you know, the, the surgery could be quote unquote successful, but there's damage there. Yeah. And maybe it, when it heals, it's not the same. I don't know, you know. So there's a lot of factors involved that, I don't think you can put your finger on and definitively say this is it. This is this is his this is the issue. But I just don't think that, you know, if Devin Bush was playing like he did as a rookie, uh, all due respect to Robert Spillane, I don't think there would be a competition like there is going on currently. No, and I think that the Steelers really wish that there wouldn't be, but you know, you gotta do what you gotta do, and they need improved play from that inside linebacker spot, and we know that Tomlin doesn't care which guy it is. He just needs someone to step up. Absolutely, because, you know, you, the, the inside linebacker spot may not be the only reason that the Steelers were last in the NFL last year in run defense, but it's, a, it's a certainly a contributing <laughs> yeah. factor. And you, you cannot have, you know, poor, uh, inconsistent play at that position and hope to be good against the run. So, you know, that's got to get figured out. I, I, I don't, and I don't know what the answer is right now. I've got to be honest with you. Well, hopefully some answers avail themselves at practice today. That gets underway at 155 on the campus of St. Vincent College up in Latrobe on Chuck Knoll Field. So if you're heading up, you only got a handful of days left that you can witness Steelers practice at Latrobe. So make sure you do it before camp breaks uh, Thursday to the public, Friday for the players. That's going to do it for today's training camp report. Always appreciate you guys giving us a listen. Labs and I will be back again at 9 a.m. sharp tomorrow recapping today's practice. Let's hand the baton off, though, to Wolf and Starks as you'll be going in the locker room for for the next couple hours on SNR.